Welcome back to Teaching with the Body and Mind. I'm here with Ross. Hi, Mike. And Tom. Hi, Mike. <laughs> and Joey. Hey. And as you can probably tell, we're still um, talking remotely. Um, we don't talk over each other quite as much as we do when we're in person. Uh, Studio just, is not big enough for social distancing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, someday. And then we'll have to, yeah, each have our own mic and yeah. <laughs> That's when we get sponsored. Yeah, that's right. So if you're a sponsor, let us know. Um, I wanted to talk um, because I was just a participant in the Transform Challenging Behaviors Conference. It was the third year of it. It's an online conference. But it's really nice. You know, those are mostly videos you watch. And then there's like discussion on Facebook. So there's, you know, it's, it's a little different. But um, the cool thing is you actually get to see, like, everyone has the opportunity to see all the sessions, right? Mm -hmm. That, unlike a real-life conference where you have to, like, choose, what am I going to do this time? Um, but it's all focused on challenging behaviors, a lot of great workshops. But what struck me, and I feel like Tom had the similar thing at a different conference a few years ago, was how often people would talk about things and never talk about movement. And I don't mean it as a diss because sometimes people were, they were talking about something else, but there were times when I would just would thought they'd at least mention, oh, and some kids are going to need to move or, you know, when you're trying to figure this kid out, figure out what their movement needs are. And, and that didn't always happen. And so again, because I've named the conference, I do want to say that I still got things from these particular workshops and had it, there been actual discussion, I would have asked the person, you know, um, because I think it's something they probably have thought about, but when you're doing this one hour talk. Right, right. You're trying to say you are topic. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't mean to, yeah, again, I don't mean to imply that they didn't realize, but I was just struck that for a lot of people, um, when we watch kids who have a difficult time navigating a classroom, for some people, it's still a learning experience just to think about, oh, what can I do in the environment to change it? And what can I do with my interactions to change it? Um, and there was one great workshop where they really gave a clear order of what you would check in. Like, first, are the child's needs being met? Do they feel safe in your room? Are they hungry? You know, do they need to eat? Like, the other basic needs are being met. But, you know, but looking at that and then... I don't have the order in front of me, but say like looking at trauma, looking at this and just kind of going through. But what I was struck was that there's never a mention of movement. And I have a feeling in her sensory discussion, if she was actually working with, you know, consulting with the person or spending more time, or I think she has more materials, you know, going more in depth, movement would be one thing. But I was just struck by even something that was so like, I thought so well done like the need for movement was never mentioned. And then in the dis discussion on Facebook, it was never mentioned or may have been because admittedly there are 10,000 people at this conference. And oh, Mike, do you think, <laughs> I, I think I know what you think, but do you think that it's because people take it as a given that we're thinking about this? Or do you think it's because we have like a, a, a blind spot in the other direction? Yeah, I think, um, so here's my hunch is that People look at it as movement. Well, I do movement 
because we go outside at 11 o'clock or or we go to the gym, you know, and it's that idea of looking at it as, and I know we've talked about it in other episodes, right? That not looking at it as physical needs are constant, that the whole child, when we look at the whole child, it means they have their body the whole time. (laughs) Right. And instead it's this idea of I'll take care of their body needs. Uh huh. At, at 11 o'clock <laughs> or whatever. And um, rather than, okay, so this child really needs to be moving quite a bit. Right. Um, but we were going to sit down for breakfast. What, am, you know, it's not like, how do I include, like, what am I going to do for this child so they can also eat without whatever, you know, right. running around or, you know, some of it of course is the teacher stepping back and just letting a kid do certain Mm -hmm. Can a kid listen to a story while they're pacing? Yeah. You know, but, but I do think sometimes people think, Oh, not, we can't do that now. You got to wait till we go outside. And the conference you were at was specifically looking at challenging behaviors, which, 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 right. Am I right? Yeah. Yes. I think um, also it's, that's an especially unfortunate place to, to over, to overlook. Right. Basic basic movement needs, yeah. right? Because then suddenly now you're looking for like problems and, and or, um, you're, you're into atypical, right? You're looking at right. atypical. Yeah, and, that, and I think that's it is it's, it's slightly atypical. I would say that every classroom has at least one or two children who has movement needs that are higher than the, the rest of the class. And with other things, you know, you would then meet the needs of everybody. If you had a child in a wheelchair, you would know they need more space than everyone else and you would give that. And there's certain children who, when they're going to sit and listen to a story or, or eating, they're going to need to f- move their arms about. And so if you sit them in the same space that you'd sit the other children in the class, someone's going to get an elbow in the face, right? You know, and just that. Right if, now you have challenging behavior. And now you have challenging behavior. Right. So it's sort of like you're, by not keeping that, you know, need in mind, you suddenly mm-hmm. created the opportunity for a behavior that you're going to define as challenging. And probably the child who got the elbow in the face is going to consider right. challenging too. But, um, and I think, you know, Tom, I think because your program, uh, the classroom you were in for the last however many years that was, not having an outdoor time, you really did well. And even before that, I guess, having indoor space that allowed for movement. Um, well, for me, <clears throat> for me, I thought that was one of the most important things for young children. Um, I, you know, I remember when we did the NACI conference in Washington, D.C., I I, one of the things I tried to do was to challenge people to, to, to see if they could hear people talk about children's need to move. <laughs> and, and one of the, I mean, when I look at conference, what, what's been proposed and what's been accepted, there's all these uh, sessions about how to take care of problem behaviors Mm -hmm. and I always thought that's kind of a negative way to approach it because if you're providing for the needs where every child has their needs met in the classroom which is which always includes movement you won't have those you won't have as many problem behaviors because you're providing what they need I've kind of uh, jokingly said I should I should write a proposal for a conference about um, how to deal with challenging behaviors at the sensory table. 
<laughs> well, right. the way to do it is to offer um, open-ended activities for kids to, 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 to play. You know, that, that makes me think, I wish I could remember which person said this, and, and more than one person had a similar sentiment. But the presenters often talked about when people come to them as a consultant about challenging behaviors, the main role that they try to do is let's look at it differently. Let's look at the thing that challenges you, right? So the teacher's the one being challenged. What does the child get out of that? And let's celebrate that. Wow, this child loves to throw things. And so when they're at the sensory table, they're throwing sand. And that, yeah, and that can be a problem for other kids. So let's celebrate that need for throwing and that ability and do it in a way that doesn't negatively impact the others or, you know, like, so turning it around and celebrating that child who needs to move, like, that's great, you know, and well, they're great throwers. Let's, yeah. <laughs> uh, I wish I could celebrate that. <laughs> well, right. Yeah. It feels like, I mean, the discussion of the, of last week of the collective effervescence. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Um, it feels like maybe the word there, the phrase that popped into my mind was the unconscious implications of movement in a lot of these sessions. Cause I think again, like, is it to Joey's point, is it that we just, it's so implied that we don't even think about it anymore that it's not, we're, we're looking at it or is it that there just is a lack of awareness? And I think that it's, I don't, I don't know if it's any, it's, it has to be a mix of both and many other things because I think we're probably overlooking or making things responses a lot harder with a lot of opportunities. Like it could just be, yeah, you don't want people elbowing each other. Well, give them some more space or find Mm -hmm. the time when we can have that wrestling time and we can really kind of use our bodies in the ways that children are really showing us and asking us to. Um, I feel like I've got too many ideas here to put these together. Right. So maybe well, you guys can help me. I'm going to go with like them. something you talked about several weeks ago, but that paradigm shift of, we call them classrooms. Right. And I think in our head, the, the icon, you know, in our heads about classrooms, we think of, these rooms with desks and chairs. And of course the preschool room looks a little different, but still we have in mind this idea that it's a place where at some point they have to sit down and the space between chairs is going to be this big. And, but if we compare it, okay, what do four-year-olds need or three-year-olds need and think about what have three-year-olds done in the past or in a culture where they're not going into a school, into a classroom. It's like, well, no, you'd never have a kid sit, five inches away from another person and expect that they wouldn't bump each other. Right. That, or even the idea that they'd stay in their seat the whole time or, or, or whatever, or they wouldn't be loud. Right. You know, in a, in a house, you know, a lot of kids are at home right now. If there's a four-year-old and it gets loud once in a while, look, yeah. Um, And we as adults are the ones who set it up where we have 15 four-year-olds in the same room. So when each of them is typically the same typical volume as a, you'd expect a four-year-old to do at home. Now it's overwhelming for the teacher and maybe for some of the kids. Right. So we've set that up, you know, and it's because of what we call a classroom. Well, then we have all these kids who are all the same age and we put them in the room 
And then, oops, sorry. Uh, there's a lot of background noise. So we put kids of the same age, all in the same room, all at the same time. Because even the idea of eating lunch at the same time, there's a social aspect to that. But all the entire right. classroom, you know, for full day programs, I remember there was a child who was doing great, working out all these things, and then he'd go in for lunch and just, you know, couldn't yep. handle the sensory, I don't know what I call it, not deprivation, but you know, like there's more restrictions. And it was that thing of like, is there a way he could go up and just start eating? Just like him and, and one adult while the other kids, and then they come up. Right. And so he could be settled in instead of him trying to figure out how to open his, you know, lunch container and things and his elbows are going every which way. And he's going to bump someone by mistake. And then, you know, and it was just that thing of like, all eating lunch at the same time in this fairly small table, if that's something we, we put on kids, you know, it's not. And so I, I think just that idea, that paradigm of like, we get stuck as we call it a classroom. Right. And therefore we still have these ideas of what a classroom has to look like. And interestingly enough, like when it gets to be too much for the adults, the method that seems to be the most in practice is to, we either raise our voices to kind of go over the children or to get, and then everybody stop. Right. right. Which at times for safety, that's needed. However, maybe the, the counterpoint is, what if you said, everybody, dance party, back here, let's move. Okay, now that we've, we're all moving, let's slow down. Hey, I'm noticing that people are walking all over the books or that they're, you know, what if we were to move to refocus rather than asking children to fully stop mm -hmm. and depending on the needs of the group and what's happening? Because yeah. it seems like if, you don't, if you're at group time, you don't want everybody climbing on top of each other or it's getting too loud you getting more loud and asking everybody to try to stop is going to feel good to probably nobody but let's just say all right everybody head shoulders knees and toes let's go and you can refocus that way well right. that would that be something that would honor the movement but then to go okay now well and what you just said right so that's giving in a way even though the teacher in that case is leading it it's still giving the child agency because if a child didn't do head shoulders knees and toes that would be fine, but you probably have enough kids who love that game and are going to do it or, or whatever. So I think it's right. that idea of kind of giving up that control, right? And that's why you raise your voice, right? Because I'm going to control this room right. versus, oh, let me help each child find a place or find a thing they want to do. If a child's having a hard time with that, is there something, you know, I, I think I've right. used the example where like I, I was gone, I came back into my classroom, the sub, wasn't sure what to do. Kids are all over the place, um, including, I mean, to the point where there was poop smeared on the wall in the bathroom and stuff, right? So, I mean, it wasn't like just this level of, oh, it's a little loud. It was, you know. And what I did is I put out clay in the middle of the table. I didn't tell kids they had to do clay. I just put some out. It was on the shelf, but I put it on the table. I set the table, as Tom might say. Mm -hmm. And two kids went over there right away and they were the kids who needed the most like movement, the loudest kids, but that resistance work of working with clay, they just, they went right to it. They started doing it and that made it a little quieter. And then I went and played with some other kids, you know, like following their lead, but doing pretend play. I was probably the tin man or something. If it was <laughs> wizard vows, but whatever, like just having, and then it, like the whole room kind of quieted down. Uh, the sub was helping, you know, clean up the bathroom at that point too. But, uh, 
But, but the point was, I didn't have to, like, I had to, like, set the tables, Tom. I said, like, giving the kids enough things to do physically, and then they could take the agency to figure out what do they need. Right. Right. So and so it, it just emphasizes that here it emphasizes the importance of the teacher and being able to read what the needs of the child, children and, are. And, and allow for them. I mean, because that seems yeah. to be, yeah. maybe mm-hmm. that's the piece, yeah. you know, I've been trying to figure out like, so what, when, you know, when we go to these things and we feel like something's missing in a training, I, I think it's, uh, it's somewhere between that, the idea of agency that's come up a couple of times recently. And then just like, allowing for it i think right. you know lots of people oh kids need to move and let's do jumping and they need deep compressions or what whatever yeah, it might yeah. be but i think that the slight difference of what we're trying to get at is is they'll find what they need if it's if it's there and it's allowed and it's allowed yes we yeah. need to be able to read the room tom's right we need to be as teachers like kind of understand what they need but probably not to the prescriptive degree of like you go jump 10 times mm-hmm. more like if jumping is here and that's what you need, you will probably do that. And then you will probably do better because that's what you needed. Right. So if you I mean, allow for it, if you yeah, have I mean, things set, if the room is set up that they can do it. Right. It's like a preemptive way to right. do it versus, I mean, you know, a lot of these behavioral things, it's like, Oh, well, after the fact, you know, even, even right. a little bit, I mean, Ross, I, let's have a dance party instead of yell at kids. But even that's like, oh, it already got to this point of being right. at a, you know, being not feeling good. Whereas if yeah. theoretically, if it was just already there, you'd yeah. have less of that. Not and especially that. if you're thinking if there's a behavior from a child that you see every day, right. I was talking with another group earlier this week and they talked about the kid who kept jumping on kids' backs. And so they were trying to learn about roughhousing, but this one kid would always just go and jump on people's backs and say, oh, if it's happening every day, you already know it. So before that tends to happen, make sure you've taught them how to ask if they can roughhouse and roughhouse and be the one to do it early. And if that just becomes a regular thing that they know they can do it, it doesn't have to wait to the point where I need to do it right now. I'm going to go jump on this kid. Right. Right. And so it's that just being aware of it. But I think you did a great job of summing it up. Uh, Joey, uh, that yeah, you remember I think what I said because I don't <laughs> allowing kids to to do these types of behavior. They'll tend to do it themselves. It doesn't have to be a teacher coming up with it. Sometimes it gets to that point, but in general, especially if it's a challenging behavior or whatever you want to define that or label that, make sure you're doing it before it gets to that point. But when it gets to that point, then have your dance party or you know have the the things you like to do <laughs> that will right. draw kids in, and then. Yeah, but just remembering that movement is a need for children. It's not something that is a checklist that you wait until it's your time to do it. It's like, oh, they're showing me they need movement right now, right. not when I had it scheduled. So, right, right. So obviously this one comes up in many of our episodes, but I think that was a good, like it was nice to focus just on that. So yeah. thanks, everyone. Thanks, thanks Mike. Thank you for listening to Teaching with the Body and Bond. We'll be back again next week with another episode. Music is by Big Wheel Popcorn. <laughs>